You're listening to Tobacco Endgame Matters, a podcast produced by Action on Smoking and Health, advancing momentum for a tobacco-free California. Chris, I know who you are. John, you and I have not met before, but I've heard quite a bit about you. So I'm just going to you know, give you all a chance to introduce yourselves a little bit more. Um, Chris, let's start with you, and then we're going to jump over to, to John. Sure. Thank you. Um, my name is Chris Bostick. I am the Policy Director at Action on Smoking and Health, or ASH. Um, I've been in tobacco control for about uh, 20, 21 years, and for the past few years, my focus has been uh, tobacco endgame. John, how about you? My name is John Marish. I am, uh, I've served on the Beverly Hills City Council since 2009. Uh, we have a rotating system, so I have been mayor three times, and I am currently a Garden Variety Council member. Great. Um, John, let's actually talk about your city uh, first. So last year, Beverly Hills was the first city in California and the world, from what I believe, to phase out the sale of commercial tobacco products. Can you describe the landscape these days and maybe even describe you know, what the reaction has been in Beverly Hills and in neighboring communities? Well, I think the reaction in Beverly Hills has been positive. We, uh, we actually passed the ordinance when I was mayor. So that's uh, almost, you know, I'd say it's about a year and a half ago. And it took effect on January 1st. And we have had broad support, I would say, from our community, most of our community members. Uh, there were a few specific niche groups that had issues, and we were forced to make uh, a couple of compromises. But on the whole, I would say that we have uh, have achieved largely what we wanted to do, which is the the ban of, of, of the sale of tobaccos in our the ban of the sale of tobacco within our city. And I would say it's also a very logical step that we took. It was part of a longer process that started decades ago when we had initial bans of smoking in restaurants and then outdoor dining and then multifamily housing. And we were at a point where we were discussing with the county of L.A., uh, one of their tobacco control advocates, Monty Messex, about a ban on flavored tobacco, which a number of cities uh, are in the process of passing or have passed. And at that stage, I think I was the vice mayor at the time, uh, I, I said, you know, this is, this is all interesting, but why, why not, no pun intended, just do the full Monty and ban the sale of tobaccos and, or, or ban the sale of tobacco products and ban the sale of tobacco. And the initial response from some people was sort of, well, well, you can't do that, can you? And I looked at our city attorney and said, Larry, can we? And he said, well, you, you know, there may be some challenges, but yes. And uh, quite frankly, I, I looked at it as a, um, a matter of zoning. There are certain activities that are allowed and that are legal um, in other places that we just don't allow in our city. To give you a couple of maybe odd examples or odd couple examples, mortuaries, perfectly necessary and a, a legal profession, and also smelting plants. 
or oil extraction. Well, those are things that may be legal elsewhere. They're not legal in our city. And so I think I wanted to approach it from the perspective of zoning. And to an extent, that's what we did. And so we do not have uh, or allow the sale of tobacco products with limited exceptions in our city. And I suppose we were prepared for some legal challenges. Touch wood, they haven't come yet, but we're prepared if they do come. And, you know, Beverly Hills' decision, as we know, is a part of something much larger, something called Tobacco Endgame. Chris, can you summarize the Endgame initiative for our listeners? Sure. And just to start, um, Endgame comes, of course, from the, uh, from chess, and it's the, it's the part of the game where there are a few pieces left, and uh, a, 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 an end of the game is going to come at some, time, at some point in the near future, even if it's a draw. Um, and tobacco end game is, is basically the same thing. We're looking at the tobacco epidemic um, as, a, as a 50 or 75 year um, process. And we're in some places, at least, we are near the end of that process. And we're starting to think, um, how are we actually going to end the tobacco epidemic? And just to give you a definition, there's a lot of different definitions of, of tobacco end game out there, but I'll, I'll give you mine. It's a mindset where public policy aims to end the tobacco epidemic rather than merely mitigate it. And it's also kind of the end of the term tobacco control, which is the profession that I've been in for over two decades. But that word control uh, implies that there's some level of uh, avoidable death and disease that we can live with. And we shouldn't be okay with it. We shouldn't be okay with death and disease from something that we can easily get rid of. And for, for so long, every tobacco control organization has had it in their vision statement that they look to a future where tobacco is, is no longer causing disease and death. All, all Endgame does is say, well, let's put a plan in place and a date in place to make that happen and not just make it uh, over the horizon forever. Um, and to put it in a perspective of sort of other products, there, there are a lot of products that, uh, that were legal once and then are not legal to sell later. Uh, you know, asbestos is, is a big one. Uh, lead, lead paint, lead gasoline, um, even lawn darts aren't available anymore for sale because two people were killed by them in the 1980s. Um, so people have been thinking about tobacco endgame ever since we knew that uh, that cigarettes were were dangerous. And, you know, it's worth a quick story here. When the Surgeon General's report came out in 1964, which was a uh, it wasn't new research. They looked at all the existing research on on the effects of tobacco, and they concluded that it is it, it causes cancer and death. And they decided to hold the press conference for that uh, for the release of that uh, report on a Saturday because the Surgeon General assumed that once the world knew for sure that this stuff was deadly, that they'd be forced to take it off the market and assumed that everyone else would assume that. And so by having it on a Saturday, they were hoping to uh, cushion the shock to the stock market. They wanted to give a couple of days afterwards for people to kind of get, come to grips with it in, in the hopes that there wasn't a huge crash because tobacco was such, a, uh, such an important uh, product financially. And of course, uh, it wasn't banned. And uh, ever since then, we've been we've been thinking about tobacco control, um, trying to get uh, trying to convince folks not to try it, not to get addicted to it. But there have always been a few uh, researchers and advocates who have spoken out uh, for tobacco endgame since since the 1960s. Um, for the most part, though, they haven't there hasn't been any sort of organization behind it, and uh, that began to change just a just a few years ago. Uh, there were a, ser- a series of meetings uh, with from tobacco control experts uh, talking about Endgame and talking about the the ideal policy that would get us to, to tobacco Endgame. Um, that culminated in a series of meetings called Eyes on the Prize that that Ash took part in. 
but the problem with all of these meetings is they they were almost purely academic. Uh, it was, they were very interesting. A lot of good research came at, as a result of the discussions, but there was no uh, campaign to actually get it done. And so in 2018, Ash started what we call Project Sunset. And the, the goal is it's a global program to phase out the sale of commercial combustible tobacco products. And now with an organization behind it that, that continues to push all the time and not just when you publish a paper, uh, we're starting to see some uh, some movement. I, I should make sure I point out that um, the folks in Beverly Hills and John Mirish had never heard of Project Sunset when they when they passed their ordinance. Um, which just shows that you know good ideas can come from several angles, um, but ever since then we have of course been been pointing to Beverly Hills as an example of, of what can be done when when the uh, when the political will is there, and you know we're we're hoping to um, to start something big, and we actually have. We'll uh, we'll talk more about it in a moment, I think. But uh, this is a, this is a global movement now. I'm glad that you brought up the global side of Endgame, which we'll get to in a little bit. But before we do. For some of our listeners who are hearing your explanation and hearing about Endgame for the first time, thinking that this is an attack on them or the consumer, how would you address them? I would say this is, for, from a tobacco control standpoint, this is the the only thing that's the exact opposite of that. And I, I think one of the problems that we had in, in public health uh, vis-a-vis tobacco over the decades is a, a focus on on demand, on the consumer, on the individual, and uh, and blame for, for cigarette smokers. And, uh, it's only in the past two decades or so that people started to realize that, uh, they're not failing us. We have failed them by allowing an industry to prey on them as children, get them addicted as children before they could possibly understand the ramifications of of a lifetime of addiction. Um, and then turn around and, and blame them for the, for the problems of the tobacco epidemic. What, what project sunset does and what tobacco Endgame does is flip that and, and focus on the actual perpetrator of the tobacco epidemic, which is the tobacco industry. And so that's why we, we only talk about banning the sale of tobacco. Uh, we won't work with a jurisdiction that wants to, um, to punish the smoker. So you can't, you can't make it illegal to purchase or to use or to, uh, or to possess. Uh, the last thing we need is another addictive drug uh, and police walking by and saying, what's that in your pocket? That will never happen under a tobacco endgame policy because it's completely focused on the, on the retail sale. Now, knowing that, John, if you could pinpoint one or two factors you know, that enabled Beverly Hills to successfully pass an endgame policy, what would you say those factors are and what were some of the biggest challenges for the city? Well, I would say that there was broad support in, in the community. We've always strived to be a healthy city, and tobacco is the opposite of healthy. It, it's it's also something about respecting other people. So the notion that we, we've heard the typical libertarian arguments, but smoke is something that even if you live in multifamily is unavoidable. So that's one of the reasons that we were able to pass the, the multifamily smoking ban as well. Um the, the challenge is specifically in our city where we had a couple of basically private cigar lounges. And it's very weird because you had people from literally all sides of the political spectrum, from our congressperson, Ted Lieu, who is very was very critical of the Trump administration and you know, would go on Twitter and, and uh, stick it to Trump. But on the other side, you had Rudy Giuliani, who uh, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, who were concerned about the potential closure of a um, of these these private to 
cigar clubs. And I think from our perspective, so that was on the one hand. And then on the other hand, we have hotels that were fearful they might lose customers. So on the one hand, the, the, the way I think that we solved the problem of the cigar lounges was that these are basically private clubs. People put themselves uh, into that atmosphere and it's, it's not open to the public at large. And uh, that was by far the biggest group of people who had perhaps objections. Um, we got a letter from former Governor Schwarzenegger that he supports our efforts, but but the uh, you know but but please keep the cigar club. And as said, calls from both Ted Lieu and Rudy Giuliani on both sides of the political spectrum about that. So I guess there were important people who who were invested in that. Uh, it certainly was a question of, and then of course you had people who were going to say, well, if you make that exception, then you should basically accept everybody, and that's obviously the argument about making the perfect the enemy of the good. And uh, on the other hand, as said, was the hotels. And for us, the solution was we didn't want to have tobacco products available at hotel stores because anyone could come off the street and purchase them. Uh, That said, we recognized that the hotel guests would have other ways of getting tobacco if they wanted. So we basically allowed it in hotels, not at an over-the-counter kind of uh, purchase point, but through either the concierge or room service or something along those lines. Because quite frankly, what you could have had, you could have had the concierge send someone down the street to a neighboring jurisdiction without a tobacco ban, and they could have bought it and brought it back. So it was effectively the same thing. So so with, with those two if you will, compromises that I think are based on logic and reason and uh, within within the context of what we were doing on the larger scale, we were able to eliminate most, uh, if not all, of the major opposition. And yes, there were were a couple of lobbyists who were hired on the part of the tobacco industry who, who made the same kind of typical libertarian arguments or well, you're allowing it here, so you should allow it everywhere. It's affecting certain people. And uh, that didn't gain a lot of traction. And uh, you did have a couple of, of um, uh, merchants, retailers, who were concerned about the impacts on them. But we did a phase-in period intentionally. We offered the city's uh, finance department to help perhaps guide businesses that were concerned about what they could replace the lost revenue with. I, I remember I made a statement that wouldn't it be great if in, instead of going to a gas station and then going in the store to, to, to purchase um, cigarettes, you went and purchased kombucha or something along those lines. And we did allow a hardship exemption, but again, with a phase out that there was a process in place that people would be allowed to try and, as said, get an extension of that. And we actually had a, a recent case where someone wanted like a 20 year extension. It was, it was pretty absurd. Uh, that went to the council and uh, we put the kibosh on that. It made no sense at all. Uh, but as said, so, so there were some very unique specific situations within our town. And I think that's important that any city or municipality that is considering taking these steps needs to consider the specifics of their own local community. But in general, as said, we had broad support among our residents, 
And I think a lot of our residents were also quite proud of the fact that we're the first city to do so. Absolutely. And for folks who are interested in maybe taking a deeper dive, we do have a case study. Ash has a case study on Beverly Hills that is available for you. We'll add the link into our show notes. Um, now that you've described that for us, John, Chris, I want to go back to you know, the global versus the local stage when it comes to Endgame. Now, does it look very different when we're talking about Endgame in places like Beverly Hills or California versus the rest of the world? Well, the short answer is yes, uh, but it's not so much that Beverly Hills and California are, are unique, although they are in certain ways. It's going to look different everywhere. Um, and you know, the, the second city, uh, which is a neighbor of Beverly Hills, Manhattan Beach, that, that uh, outlawed smoking, their, their bill is slightly different because, as, as John just said, it really has to reflect local realities. And so there is no we don't push one policy or even one set of policies. What we, what we do with Project Sunset is try to build a political will. And once that will is there, then we can sit down and, and put a plan together. Um, and it just a juxtapose to, to Beverly Hills and Manhattan Beach. Um, let me go over to uh, New Zealand, who just uh, last year released a plan from their Ministry of Health uh, to basically end the tobacco epidemic within the next three years. And they have a, a, a swath of policies, including getting rid of filters, uh, getting rid of nicotine in cigarettes, or at least making it non-addictive, uh, banning sales, uh, restricting the number of retailers, and a number of other issues. And they're only focusing on combustible tobacco. And that works in their context right now. And they're going to be regulating e-cigarettes and other uh, nicotine products, but along a different track. And they're, they're, they're focusing on getting rid of the, the products that are doing most of the damage first. Um, and then we can juxtapose that with, uh, with Spain. And uh, the, the Spanish Tobacco Control Coalition put out a, a great declaration last year uh, demanding that their government put something in place to end the tobacco epidemic within 10 years. And, um, but instead of just saying that, they, they wrote a plan out. And the dif big difference between them and Beverly Hills is uh, their, their prevalence is about four times higher than Beverly Hills was when, when they set out on their journey. And it just doesn't, um, it doesn't make sense to have a, a, a quick ban on products when over a fifth of, of adults use them every day. And so their plan includes a lot of other tobacco control policies to drive down prevalence in the meantime. And then at the, at the end, they're going to implement uh, tobacco-free generation, which is basically they're going, to, uh, they're going to increase the minimum age of purchase one year every year. And so it's like a sales ban, but with a, with a grandfather clause. And uh, others will look even different. Um, the Netherlands has a scheme in place where they're going to start reducing the types of retailers that can sell tobacco products until they get down to zero. So the, the obvious ones are like pharmacies, but they're going to get rid of grocery stores and then gas stations. Uh, and then uh, just people will get, uh, it'll be harder and harder to get. More, more people will quit because it's too much of a hassle to go find it. Uh, and then when they're, when they're ready, they'll, they'll just uh, you know, pull the trigger and, and get rid of it entirely. Um, so it, it's, it's different absolutely everywhere. Uh, our hope is um, is that uh, the Beverly Hills model spreads quickly to cities and, and states and countries that have that uh, have that low prevalence rate and have already done a lot of other tobacco control measures. But you know, even within um, even within California, has this always been a hot topic, or has it is this growth recent? And if so, what do you think has changed to really lead or drive this momentum? Right. Well, it's always been um, a side topic. There have been people talking about it and researching it and writing about it for um, for decades, actually centuries. That there were 
there were monarchs in Europe that were uh, that were against smoking when it first came from uh, uh, from the New World. Um, of course, they didn't realize it was uh, it was unhealthy. They just didn't like it. Um, but it's uh, it's changed more recently, and uh, a lot of that I think is is due to uh, to, to Project Sunset. Uh, Ash is in a, a a great position in that we spent 15 years as the secretariat for a global consortium of uh, of civil society organizations. Um, and we, we, we were the directorate for the, the secretariat. And so we, we still work globally and we, we talk to uh, colleagues in, in virtually every country. And so for several years, even before we launched Project Sunset, we would just talk to anyone who would listen and ask them what they thought about uh, the, the possibility of getting rid of sales. And uh, at first, the, the, the number one reaction was uh, you can't do that because it's a legal product. And, and then we had to explain to them that, well, products are not inherently legal or illegal, but that their, their status is decided by humans. Humans decide what, what products are legal and illegal. There's nothing inherent about it. And after they learned that, then their number one uh, reaction was, well, that would be really nice. You guys go do that because they thought it was impossible. It's just absolutely pie in the sky. Uh, and so that's why we, when we first, um, when I first heard about the, uh, the council hearing that John mentioned where they were banning flavors and he I wondered out loud why we can't get rid of everything. Uh, we, we, we jumped on that and uh, we had other folks in California offer assistance uh, in, in terms of testimony and information and data. And uh, we just, we needed that proof of concept. And, and once there was a proof of concept, uh, people began to really talk more about it. And uh, I would say over the last past two years, we've seen uh, a real sea change in how people think of, of Endgame. It's now become a co- part of every tobacco control conversation. Even if it's simply someday we want to do Endgame, it's in there now where it, it was not before. And I, I think a good example of that is a, a letter that we floated last year calling on governments, uh, every government, to put a plan in place with a date that they will end the tobacco epidemic. And that we, we put that out for signature. And, uh, you know, there's a global listserv and there's other communication platforms. And we had a total of seven people uh, push back and, and say, this is, this is a bad idea, either because it's, you know, you're, you're going to distract us from our, our other programs or uh, you're going to make us seem like radicals. Um, so seven people, individuals. At the same time, 148 organizations just quietly signed it. Because when you really think about it, it is obvious this is where we need to go as a, as a public health movement. Uh, and so, so now it really is, we're, we're done convincing our own community, I think. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, getting groups to change their, their MO as, as they move forward. They're still going to have to do all the, all the stuff that we've done for decades. They're going to have to think about smoke-free air. They're going to have to think about banning flavors. Uh, they're going to have to think about taxation. Uh, and, and some jurisdictions are only going to be able to do that for the next few years. But everybody seems to be to be planning for it now. And you know the the biggest example I'll give for that is I'm working with some folks in Nevada who want to do this at the state level. And that's not the first place you think of when you think of a very progressive public health policy, especially in a state that's so dependent on gambling, where where smoking is sort of seen as inherently part of it. But um, but they're they're talking about it seriously, and their their tobacco control coalition is in favor, and uh, they're they're drafting a bill now to um, for next year. Um, so, so who knows? I, I do think that it's, we've, we've turned a corner. Um, and I, but I think that corner is going to, another corner is going to be turned in the next couple of years. And, you know, one of the best examples of that is the, uh, is the tobacco control treaty, uh, out there. It's called the framework convention on tobacco control. And ash has been part of that, uh, since its inception over 20 years ago. 
And uh, for the first time, uh, a party, Canada, has requested that end game be put on the agenda uh, for the next conference of the parties, which will be in, in, in uh, Panama in a couple of years. And uh, that's, that's completely unprecedented. Uh, Endgame has never come up when the, when the treaty was being negotiated. No one mentioned the possibility even of restricting sales. It was all about reducing demand. Uh, and so that just shows that even, even in, in the sort of staid conservative circles of international treaty negotiation, it's becoming a normal topic. To, to follow up on what Chris said, uh, you know, I, I kind of hope that what we did sent a message, sort of, you see, it can be done. And my feeling was when people said, well, you can't do that, can you? My immediate reaction was, well, somebody has to be first, so let it be us. And it did actually take some time from when we were discussing the banning of flavored tobacco to get to the point where we brought it back. At the time, the mayor wanted it to go, who was at the mayor at the time, who was actually a physician, and, you know, was very deliberate about it. And it went to committees and ad hocs and other groups. And when it was my turn to, to be mayor then after that, I, I got a little bit impatient. I didn't want to wait. And so we did go through the process, but that brought it back to us after we had had discussions with stakeholders, including not just the residents, but also businesses. And of course, the tobacco control groups, including the county of LA, which has a robust uh, uh, health department and tobacco control department, and ASH. And so there were people who were very, very helpful, including one of the, I would say, giants of tobacco control, Dr. Ruth Malone from Northern California. And we got a lot of help. Uh, I think, as said, our, our city, we didn't need to be convinced. We, we knew that tobacco was not something that was good. We knew that it's something that we should, you know, as, as, as in the past, as Chris suggested, there were policies to try to reduce the demand. But this is sort of like, you know, cutting through the Gordian knot, if you will. It, 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 this Project Sunset is it makes all the sense in the world. Uh, there are products that we don't allow anymore, and, and Chris mentioned a couple of them, and I certainly at the time looked at both asbestos and lead paint, and it just, it, it yes, it's legal, but that in, in itself doesn't mean that it's something that is going to be of any benefit to our community. And that's when As said, I thought also it made sense for us to accept, okay, it's legal, but just because it's legal doesn't mean it has to be sold in, in, in our jurisdiction. And it was very interesting because once we, we did pass this uh, and I was mayor, I was invited to go on, I, I forget who it was, but I think it was on Fox News and the Stuart Varney, I think, if that's that's the, the person's name. And I think he kind of felt he had me in a gotcha moment. He's like, well, is it, you know, is it right that you should ban the, the sale of tobacco, but you allow for the sale of, of marijuana? And I said, well, actually, Mr. Varnett, we don't. Marijuana is legal in California, but we do not allow it in our city. It's a zoning issue. It is a policy issue that we have taken. And uh, so it is not allowed. And so as said, I, I think and hope the fact that, that we took that step and that Manhattan Beach followed suit closely will encourage other places to look at ways in which you can achieve this project sunset, the end game, and simply say, 
tobacco is not reflective of the values of our community. We don't want it in our community and we're not going to allow it to be sold here. And again, going back to what Ruth Malone said, Dr. Malone said was that, you know, perhaps it, it is not surprising that someone finally says that a consumer product that is the most lethal product in the history of consumer products, that you know what, maybe we shouldn't be selling that on every corner. And in fact, for our city, I think the response is, we don't want it in our city at all. Thank you for that. So as Endgame, the Endgame Initiative continues to expand, what are you looking forward to in the next, let's say, three or five years? Um, John mentioned, you know, just hoping that more cities will implement Endgame and really prioritize the community in that sense. Chris, what is it for you as a policy advocate? Well, I, th- I think we're going to see a, a tremendous increase in momentum. And the way it's been happening over the past two years is uh, it's it's a pendulum going back and forth, except it's defying the laws of physics and swinging harder each time. So when, when Beverly Hills did what it did, the world heard it and other countries started talking about it. And uh, New Zealand releasing their plan last year was was epic from a public health standpoint. And uh, that pushed that pendulum even harder back over here. And people like uh, people in Nevada learned about what was going on. They, they knew about Beverly Hills, but now there's a whole country that's, uh, that's doing it. So uh, I'm hoping that momentum continues to increase, that the snowball gets bigger and rolls harder. Um, I'm particularly looking uh, forward in the next five years to what happens in, in California. Um, and we haven't, we haven't touched on it much yet, but the, the California uh, Department of Public Health has put a, has put Endgame in their sights, and, and they want to basically eliminate the tobacco epidemic in the state by 2035. And they've put a lot of resources behind it. And Ash is proud to be one of the uh, the grantees uh, to provide technical assistance to cities and counties that, that want to do this. Um, but we we're going to see a lot more communities in, in California following Beverly Hills um, next month. Look for it in South Pasadena. The, the, the vote is coming up in the council. But just a, just last week, I was on a phone call with uh, 10 different jurisdictions uh, that are looking to do uh, you know, a phase out pretty quickly as opposed to a long term. At the same time, there are some counties and cities that just aren't there. Uh, they, they might have 20% prevalence. They've got to do some other stuff first. But because of the way that California is, is doing this, it has to be in their long term plan uh, to, to, get, to get the end game. So as that happens, uh, that is going to have... That, that's that's going to be heard around the world every step of the way. California is the fifth biggest economy on earth. And what happens there matters uh, to, to the rest of the world. And we, we actually have a, a model for this from, from 20 years ago. Uh, when I started in tobacco control, there were virtually no limitations on smoking indoors, in, in restaurants, in bars, in, in, uh, in concerts or anything, except for California. California had a law starting in the early 90s that was very comprehensive in, in banning smoking in public places. And uh, that eventually just uh, just took off. So once again, California will be uh, will be leading the way. Um, you know, I, I should I should point out, too, that this is not going to be easy. Uh, the tobacco industry is extremely powerful and uh, tobacco endgame is a, is a death sentence for them financially. So they're going to fight back. Uh, John mentioned earlier that they were uh, sort of anticipating litigation, which hasn't come yet. Uh, they have sued um, Brookline, Massachusetts, that passed a, a tobacco-free generation law last year. Um, I, I'm not sure why they haven't sued Beverly Hills yet. Uh, there, there's two things I can think of. One is they don't want to draw more attention to it. Um, and then the other is they might not know how they could do it. Uh, it's, it's, it's a very difficult thing to sue over this. Um, 
you know, LA County banned flavors last year and, and they got sued. And uh, it was because there were exceptions, right? They banned, they banned flavors, but they didn't ban, uh, ban the sale of other types of tobacco products. And then you get all these new arguments like equal, equal treatment and all, everything else. Uh, when you ban everything, uh, it, there's no one doubts that this is within the sovereignty of, of a city government to do. And uh, they don't mind losing. The tobacco industry doesn't mind losing, but they don't like having their cases thrown out right away. They, they want to be able to you know, incur some legal costs on the, on the cities and, and states and countries that do this. So um, we, we're still waiting to see what, how they're going to react now that this is clearly not an aberration, right? Well, Chris, if they're smart, they're going to try to retool their business. The way that we've said that some of the uh, tobacco outlets that are selling tobacco should try and retool their business as well, that that uh, in, 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 instead of just selling gas and, and tobacco, that some of these convenience stores at gas stations maybe start selling lottery tickets or, or, or something else, or kombucha asset. That, that's, that's even better. But um, you're, you're, you're right. There's, there's a lot of money at stake, but you've also correctly said that, that very clearly, I think maybe one of the reasons they're not suing is because they understand that they will lose. And if they don't mind losing, that's one thing, but it also could, could be an embarrassment. And it could also maybe alert other cities that, Hey, guess what? It is legal. Maybe we should be doing this as well. There probably are a lot of cities that are still laboring under the thought that you can't do that. Can you, I'm guessing that you and Ash and other groups are trying to alert them to the fact that indeed you can, and you should, and it's good for the health and safety of your residents. But there are probably a lot of places that think that it is not legal or not possible to ban a product that itself is legal. Yeah, that's a really good point, John. And actually, the people that you're talking about that, that don't know it's, it's legal, that, that actually, that group is, is ahead of some others. Uh, our biggest uh, challenge in this is making people understand that it's even possible at all. Um, and it just every time, uh, every time somebody learns that, there's a there's a new there's a new push in the city and that that moment that eureka moment that you had in the council hearing on flavors i've watched that on uh, on other city councils it, it happens every place that's done that's gone far or is planning to go far uh has had that moment where somebody just says wait a minute why are we still dealing with this stuff why are we you know chipping away at the edges um but that that's that is our, our biggest problem is just making people understand that uh this is a possibility and that's another thing that momentum is gonna is gonna do for us uh it's gonna be harder and harder to find people that don't uh, don't know this is going on well and i and i would encourage anyone who has any questions about what we have been through as a city i'm happy to talk to anybody as well but i guess my message is as i said earlier you see it can be done there you go you heard it here first on tobacco and game matters by john mirish Thank you both so much. Thanks for listening to this episode. To learn more about Ash California, visit us at ntobaccoca.ash.org.